Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2, and if you just hold your place there, I want to talk to you tonight about unto us a son is given. Why is it that we have such joy in our hearts as we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Unto us a son is given. I believe for a long time in my Christian pilgrimage that if you're going to witness to somebody, don't just start with the Gospels. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis so that you can understand why it is that Jesus came into this world. And if you'll remember with me in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve were in the garden. There were no other people on this earth. Matter of fact, when God spoke the world into existence, as a black preacher said out in California, he said, and God stepped out on nothing because there was nothing to step out on. <laughs> and God spoke and created and God said, it's good. And nobody said nothing. Because there wasn't anybody to say nothing. <laughs> That's the way it all got started. I don't know. You know, some people say there were two little amoeba out in space. And it, I'm telling you, a person who believes this has got to be a court low. That these two amoeba ran into each other. And out of that, we have airplanes. And we have interstate highways and computers. I mean, I'm telling you. What's going on in our world today under the guise of, of intelligence blows me away. But God spoke out on nothing and he spoke the world into existence. And we have Adam and we have Eve. God created them. And here they are in the garden and God said in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Or if you do eat of it in that day, you shall surely die. God warned them. God said, all the other provisions are yours, but you must choose to obey me when it comes to eating of that tree. Well, in Genesis, the third chapter, we find that they disobeyed and they ate of that tree. And of course, you know what happened. Sin came into the world. Romans 5, 12 says, in that one man sinned, sin came into the world and death by sin. In other words, not just physical death, but eternal separation from God. This is where sin was born, right there. And thus we have the depravity of man as we see it in Genesis 3 and following. We immediately see the effect on Adam's family. We see how Cain kills Abel. And we see creation just going downhill once man had decided to sin against God. In Genesis, the seventh chapter, God judges this world. He judged it by the flood promises with a rainbow that he'll never judge it by the water again, only by fire. And yet we know he did judge this world. Some people say, well, Brother Wayne, that was just the world of that area of the, of the, of the, of the earth. I guess that explains the seashells on Lookout Mountain. But the, he judged the world. And there was one family that he spared. And that was Noah and his family. They were spared in the ark. However, sin was still rampant in the nature of man. Because of Adam's sin, man now could not reach unto God. Man could not at all fellowship with his God. And so in chapter 10 and 11 of Genesis, 
we have man building the Tower of Babel. And they decided they could come together and ascend to God. And God saw that and was displeased. And there he dispersed the people, changed their languages, and you have the different nations that develop on this earth. And you have the spirit of Babylon, which begins to permeate the humanistic teachings of man on this earth. We're studying that in Revelation, how God's going to judge Babylon, because that's man's attempt at being religious and to escape bowing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we see in chapter 12, God's plan of redemption to begin to unfold. God looked out and saw all these pagan nations, and God wanted to redeem his creation. Sin had entered the world. Man was separated from God. And so what did he do? He found him a man. The man's name was Abram. He was from Ur. He was a Chaldean. There were no such thing as Jews. There were no such thing as the Hebrew people. No such thing as Israel, the 12 tribe. It all started when God singled out a man by the name of Abram. And he covenanted with Abram in Genesis chapter 15. He cut covenant with him. And the important thing of this covenant is that he put Abram to sleep when he cut covenant with him. Which tells us something immediately. That that covenant was never based on what man did. That covenant would be based on what God does and what he continues to do and his faithfulness to you and I. That ought to be something we ought to shout about tonight because he put Abraham to sleep. Abraham didn't enter into an agreement with God. God entered into an agreement with Abraham and put him to sleep. The 17th chapter, he becomes Abraham. That H there is the Yahweh sound. Abram took upon himself the name of God for God had chosen him and had covenanted with him. And in that covenant is the everlasting covenant that promises a seed. He told Abraham, Abraham, out of you and out of your people, there's going to come a seed. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16 says, that seed is the Lord Jesus Christ. And Galatians also tells us that Abraham rejoiced because he heard the gospel preached to him beforehand. Jesus said himself in the gospel of John, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Somehow in Abraham's understanding, he knew there was going to come a child, a son would be born, a man would come to this earth and that would be the Messiah that would cause redemption to come to all of mankind. Well, he told his wife that they were going to conceive and have a child, not the seed in Christ, but a child. His wife laughed. And so they had a child. And they named it Isaac, which means laughter. <laughs> God got the last laugh. He started with Isaac. He passed from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob and Esau were born as brothers. Remember, Jacob tricked Esau into getting his birthright. And so Jacob had to have his name changed. It was changed to Israel. And now we have the beginnings of a race. For Israel had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. But Israel couldn't seem to understand that they were to be the nation through which the seed would come, which would be a blessing to all nations. Somehow they thought they were a peculiar people in themselves, that they were the only ones. And so they looked forward to the day the Messiah would come, not to save all of man, but to somehow edify them and build them up when he would come in that day. Matter of fact, there was so much rebellion in Israel that they split. Ten tribes go to the north, 
two tribes go to the south. The ten northern tribes called Israel were consumed into the race by the Assyrians. And Judah, the two southern tribes, now that's where the seed was going to come through, was through Judah. That's why it says in Revelation, God's going to look to Judah first because it was through them that the seed came. And they were the last two tribes to go into captivity, but they didn't learn anything. They disobeyed God, and God had to take them into captivity into Babylon. Finally, we come work our way through the Old Testament. Prophet after prophet after prophet tries to warn the people, don't you understand? You are not your own idea. You're God's idea. You're a holy people. You're select unto Him. But Israel wouldn't listen. And finally we have Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament. And when Malachi finished his prophecy, for 400 years, God remained silent. But wait a minute, God. You promised to Abraham that a seed was coming. You promised, you promised that there would be an anointed one, that Christ would come on the scene. Well, finally, the silence was broken. And you pick up the story in Luke chapter 2. No wonder the celebration is what it ought to be at this time of year. My goodness, 400 years of silence. God had just closed his arms. You know, every time that God would raise up a man, Satan would raise up a man. God would raise up a man, Satan would raise up a man. And so God just finally stopped as if in a giant chess game with an opponent. And finally God went to, and changed the rules and God became a man and the seed came into this world. Luke 2 tells us a story. It says in verse 1, Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all who were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed to give her birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The three things I want to show you tonight, and we won't be here forever. We've already been blessed by the choirs and I just want to pick up on where they left off. Why is it so wonderful to celebrate the birth of Jesus? First of all, I want you to look at the chosen audience. You know, God chose a peculiar group of people to announce the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He chose shepherds. It says in verse 8, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. Why did he choose shepherds? You know, there's no answer to that. There's no way that we can say we know why God chose to make an announcement to these shepherds. Verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord suddenly showed, stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But I'd like to suggest to you two reasons why he might have chosen these shepherds tonight. First of all, it could have been because of their faithfulness to watch over their flocks. You know, there's nothing, there's no character in Scripture that depicts the real heart of God any more to me than a shepherd. Because a shepherd loves his flock. A shepherd grazes his flock. A shepherd guards his flock. A shepherd guides his flock. And it is as the good shepherd that Jesus would come into this world. 
Perhaps there's something to that. Perhaps with these loyal group of little folks there that are watching over their flocks very faithfully and very loyally, he chooses them because there's something about them that he signifies that he wants to tell them about the birth of Christ. I don't know. But there could be something else. Not maybe because of his faith, their faithfulness. It could have been because of the flocks that they were watching over. The specific flocks. Now we don't know this for sure. There's no way that I could say that this is absolute. But they suggest, that the Jewish historian suggests that every year before Passover, that shepherds would bring their flocks in around the city of Jerusalem. They couldn't go inside the gates. They'd have to stay outside the gates. And you see, the sacrificial lambs were to be given at Passover. And that these shepherds, special shepherds, with specific and special sheep, sheep that had no blemish on them whatsoever, would be brought out on the hillsides outside of Jerusalem, and they would watch over their flocks at night. These were special lambs. These were not just any old lambs. These were sacrificial lambs. And these shepherds very faithfully were watching over those flocks for they would sell those lambs to the people coming to the feast of the Passover. And as they walked into the city, they would carry those lambs and those lambs would be put on the altar to be sacrificed at the feast of the Passover. And it could be, we don't know for sure, but could it be that those little lambs that they were shepherding that night were those sacrificial lambs? And could it be that the angel chose to make the announcement to shepherds <laughs> to who are shepherding those lambs who to, were to be sacrificed as if to say, your job's finished, guys, because the lamb has been born in a manger in Bethlehem. We don't know that for sure. Why did he choose shepherds? However, we do know that they were a chosen audience. The angel came and the glory of the Lord shone all about them. How would you like to have been one of those shepherds when the angel came? To break the silence of 400 years and to let them know the seed that was promised to Abraham has now been born to a virgin named Mary in a little manger, a stall. A man who was going to come on the scene, the God-man who was going to take the sin away from this world. John saw him one day and said, Behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. The chosen audience. But then secondly, the cherished announcement. Oh, what they were waiting to hear. You know, look at Isaiah chapter 8. You know, sometimes I just want to shout. I, I know this morning when the orchestra played, somebody behind me in the choir went, Oh! <laughs> And I kind of wanted to go, yeah, woo! <laughs> this gets exciting, folks. This is exactly what they've been waiting on for century after century after century. Finally, the cherished announcement. If you look in Isaiah chapter 8, you find Isaiah speaking there of the hope that will come to God's people one day. Certainly he's talking here about the Lord Jesus. Isaiah chapter 8. And verses 2 through 7. Is that what I want? No. What did I do? Oh, chapter 9. <laughs> I always do that. <laughs> Careful. If you'll hang around with me, I'll find it. I'll find it. Verse 2 of chapter 9 of Isaiah. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. 
Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Thou shalt multiply thy nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. That they will be glad in thy presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou shalt break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it for justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Oh, Isaiah said there's going to be a son given unto us. And then that cherished announcement in Luke chapter 2 as we look back there in verse 10 and 11. It says, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. Boy, can't you hear God speaking to Abraham? It's going to come, Abraham. I'm telling you, through you, there's going to be a seed. That's going to be a son, Isaiah said. A man that's going to be born on this earth. Through him, all nations will be blessed. He says in verse 11, For today, in the city of David, there, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The very term Savior, one who rescues us. Oh, I think of Psalm 40, and it says, I waited patiently upon the Lord, and the Lord delivered me. And the picture here is of a man in a deep pit, and the pit is filled with mire at the bottom of it. And the more he tries to get out, the deeper he gets in. And finally, the Lord had to deliver him. That's the, that's the root understanding of what a Savior is all about. We could do nothing. We had a debt of sin on us that we couldn't pay. We owe God. We're separated from him. Because of the sin of Adam, all men are depraved. But the Lord Jesus came from glory into this earth. A son was born. A son has been given. And he's going to grow up. The God-man. And he will pay a debt he didn't owe when we owed a debt that we could not pay. Joy to the world. You know, when you sing your choruses this Christmas, remember... Every time you utter those words of celebration, you're just simply affirming the fact that God has been faithful to do what he promised Abraham he would do. A son has been given unto us. He is Christ the Lord. The word Christ means anointed one, the unique one. There's no one ever like him. The God-man who came to this earth, the Lord God himself. So then we see the chosen audience, shepherds. And maybe it was that they were shepherding those sacrificial lambs. And the angels wanted them to know, thank you for your faithfulness, guys. But your job's finished because the lamb, the seed now, has been born. But not only that, the cherished announcement to fulfill the prophet Isaiah and others that a son shall be given unto us. But then thirdly, the company of angels. And I want you to see what happens. There's one angel that comes and then it says in verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God 
in the highest. You know, sometimes we go through Christmas season and this goes right on through. And we're not, we're not awed anymore with the, with the simple truths of what the gospel is all about. And we have forgotten, folks, salvation is God's idea. Never was our idea. It was God who came up with it. And it was God who has been faithful to do exactly what he said he would do. He brought his son into this world. And so the angels give the praise to whom deserves all the praise. They say glory to God in the highest. You ever just want to stop and do that sometime? You ever just well up inside and say, God, what is man that you're mindful of us? Glory to God in the highest. Because it's what you have done, not what any of us could have ever done. And then he goes on to say, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. That kind of peace does not mean America and Russia will ever get along together. <laughs> I hate to tell folks, even though it looks like we're at a time of peace, there is no real peace apart from man's being reconciled to his God. The word peace has the idea when two things come together and there's nothing between them to irritate them. Man cannot be at peace with God unless there be someone to stand between them and bring them together. And the Lord Jesus came to this earth to do that which no man could do. He had to do it. He had to be the one to be sacrificed on the cross. And as a result of that, then he takes God the Father's hand and our hand and joins them together. And we can once again be at peace with God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards all men. Well, joy to the world. <laughs> you know, you don't get this kind of understanding when you go to the mall during Christmas, do you? <laughs> As a matter of fact, when you start thinking about the fact that it's only, what, two weeks or so till Christmas, all of a sudden you begin to realize you haven't done any shopping and all the people you need to buy for. And so you buy things that nobody else would buy because you couldn't afford to get what you really wanted to get. And you give it to people who don't care anyway. And you somehow try to smile and fake your way through Christmas season every year. But folks, if we just stop for one second and realize because of the faithfulness of God. And folks, remember this. Why in the world would God ever come to this earth and die for trash like you and me? I think what's happened to us is we think we deserve a little bit more than what we deserve. But God is faithful to do what he said he would do. And unto us a son has been given. I can't finish tonight without asking you the question. Have you met him? Have you met him? Are you here tonight and maybe you came as a visitor and you've never met the Lord Jesus Christ? You've never been introduced to him? He's alive. He's here tonight. He, he's already gone back to heaven and his spirit is right here tonight. And he says to you and every one of us sitting in here, I died for you. As a matter of fact, someone told me years ago that if we were the only people on earth, Jesus would still come and die for us and let us nail him to a cross so we could once again be reconciled to God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. For unto us a Son has been given. All can be blessed in Him. Today, He's our Savior. Tomorrow, He may come as our judge. I guess the most startling illustration of that was of that little boy, and you've heard it, going to town with his daddy in his buckboard. And the daddy said, Son, don't you dare get out of that buckboard. That horse will rear up on you. He's spooky, and he'll hurt you. 
The little boy being a young child got out of that buckboard and scared that horse. And that horse reared up to come down on that little boy. And there was a man walking down the street that saw what was happening. He was a lawyer in that town, very respectable man. He ran to the situation and jumped between the hooves of the horse and that little boy. And those hooves came down on that man and just mangled him for life. But he spared the life of that son. That little boy grew up very rebellious, never appreciative, got into crime and other things. And one day he was on trial for a serious, serious crime. And he had to go before a judge. As he walked into the courtroom, the judge walked out. And the first thing that, little, that, that young man saw was the scars that were all over that judge's face. And something flashed back in his mind. And the thought was, could it be? Could it be? Could this be the man who spared my life one day? And then it thrilled him. Hey, I believe it is. That's the same man. That's the man who jumped between the horse's hooves and myself that day. He'll give me mercy. And so he cried out to the judge and said, don't you remember me? The judge said, oh, with sadness, I remember you. But judge, won't you give me a break? Won't you give me mercy? I know I'm guilty. And he looked at him and said, son, in that day, I was your savior. But today, I am your judge. This man who was born, this child, went from the cradle to the cross to wear a crown. And folks, now is the day of salvation. If you've not met him, you're foolish to reject him. For the day your heart stops beating, he is no longer your savior. He becomes your judge. And every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. Some of them in hell, way too late. But every knee will bow and confess as to who he is. The opportunity is yours tonight to bow now before it's too late. For unto us, a son has been given. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so very much for the way the children tonight in their honesty and innocence, Lord, thank you for the message of the celebration of Christ's birth. And Father, thank you for those shepherds that day that you chose to make the announcement to that the Lord Jesus had been born on this earth. And Father, we thank you that you're faithful to us that we're in a covenant that doesn't depend upon our being faithful to you, but totally rest on your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Father. We thank you for that everlasting covenant that you promised to Abraham. And Father, our prayer tonight is that if someone is here and has not yet understood, perhaps, Lord, you would reveal to their hearts who Jesus is. And maybe tonight they could come to know him personally, that this Christmas could be the greatest of their whole life to receive the Christ that Christmas is all about. Father, we ask you these things and we pray in the name of Jesus. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.